The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself. Because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order? Cashback guru? Low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you. Because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store. Even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Rotowire Prospect Podcast. Clayling here with lead prospect writer James Anderson. James is going to be talking about your latest Farm Futures article, ranking the rookies, recapping AL labor, and also talking TGFBI we did last week, but recapping some of these later rounds. And nobody really let off the gas pedal. You know, it was, there were obviously, you know, you get past the first 15 or so rounds, the player pool gets a little sketchy, but top to bottom, you know, and especially in these later rounds for me, it was. It's tough. Tough to find anybody worthy of, of selecting for your bench. Yeah, you know, I I was happy, I guess, with the way that my sort of starting roster uh, finished off. Uh, you know, ended up having to take Robinson Chirinos as my number one catcher because you snagged Austin Barnes. But, uh, you know, that that was fine. But, yeah, the, the bench spots... I mean, I was just kind of drafting anyone with a a pulse and a and a hope of a, a regular job because usually in those later rounds you can find uh, a couple guys that sort of slip through the cracks. Uh, you kind of had to take those guys, you know, a good forty fifty spots ahead of ADP in this league if you wanted to get them. 
Um, John Hegland was tweeting about getting Matt Strom, who's like one of my favorites in both Tout and TGFBI. And I just didn't, maybe I should have been on the lookout since he, he sniped me on him in Tout, but usually I'm the only person in the draft thinking about Matt Strom in the top 300 and uh, like Hagland was all over him. And that was, that was the case with the, with a ton of these guys. So it was just, it was really slim pickings toward the end there. Yeah, my bench, Julio Tehran. I feel like I needed a volume starter just because I got Whitley and Julio Urias, Jed Lowry, uh, Alex Verdugo, Trevor Williams, Yuck, Taylor Rogers, uh, Dustin Fowler, then Grayson Griner. Had to took him because it's you know t- uh, NFBC style half weeks, and I had Christian Vasquez as my number two catcher. So uh, I like that we're on the NFBC format this year. But I man, I wish we were still going one catcher. Yeah, that be nice. one catcher was a blast last year. Um, I'm I'm definitely in favor of moving all leagues from one ca- or from two catcher to one catcher with an extra util spot. Just it's two catcher just seems so outdated relative to w- to the way MLB teams treat that position. Um, I you know the I went Brandon Woodruff, Josh Reddick, Jay Gutierrezy, CC Sabathia, Ian Kinsler. Uh, Nate Lowe and Dexter Fowler so kind of a, a common theme there just like old guys that might still sort of have a job and then uh, paired Nate Lowe with Ryan Zimmerman after after Luke Voigt went I just didn't really like any of the first basemen uh, you know I, I kind of like Zimmerman as a guy that's going to be pretty productive when he's healthy but he'll inevitably get hurt at some point and I'm just kind of hoping that that lines up with when Nate Lowe gets called up from AAA uh but we'll, we'll see how that plays out. One guy I was a little surprised did not get drafted, uh, even though his ADP is still 317. Mike Soroka, now according to Dave O'Brien, he's not a candidate for the opening day rotation. But um, but you consider him at any point? Because I just kept passing him over. He was in my queue probably from you know the second round of reserves on. Yeah, I didn't really consider him. Uh, this is just – this is kind of – scary i think uh we could be looking at a at a situation where this sort of drags into uh, april i mean I, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't get into a minor league game until may or later and then at that point you're just trying to get the guy back to to normalcy and and he might not be up in the big leagues at all in the in the first half so i'm kind of hands off on Soroka at this point and that's that's really kind of my for for a lot of injured guys, obviously with pitchers, but I mean even for guys like uh, like Jed Lowry, who I know you grabbed. Um, I mean at that point it was it was worth the risk. But I mean I'm just always going to err on the side of uh, fading these guys that have uh, an injury that could end up being somewhat serious in spring training because it just always sort of seems like it drags on and it ends up you know either impacting performance when the guy gets backed or or just you know, the, the return date keeps getting pushed back. I'd rather have players where I can kind of figure out very early in the seat, like, like Dexter Fowler, for instance, like there's a scenario where, you know, he's been hitting second for them in the spring. And, you know, there's a scenario where he gets off to a good start and becomes useful. There's also a scenario where he just doesn't play that much. And I cut him right away. Uh, I'd rather sort of be able to just kind of keep churning those back bench spots on stream guys rather than just waiting for a guy like Soroka to get healthy. One guy who's rising rapidly right now is Fernando Tatis Jr. He went in the 21st round of this draft to Samada, but in last night's FS, or no, I'm sorry, not FSTA, Tower Wars, 
uh, mixed league draft, which you can catch on on demand with SiriusXM. He went like one seventy five. Did you see that? Um, I get, I get it. He's you know hitting frozen ropes, uh, playing good defense in the spring, and maybe they do kind of push their chips in this year. But where are you at right now, currently on Fernando Tatis for twenty nineteen? Nothing's changed for me. Uh, I mean, he's very talented, obviously. So no surprise that he's very capable of putting on doing highlight stuff on in the field and at the plate on a game to game basis in the spring. But, uh, I'm, I'm pretty adamant that the batting average is going to be, you know, at best league average and most likely below league average this year. And, uh, I, I will grant you that he'll, he'll hit home runs. He'll steal bases if he's up. Uh, but I don't think it's like, I don't think he's going to have a 2020 year, uh, really under any circumstance. And so to me, it's kind of like you're hoping for 20 home runs, 12 to 15 steals. And like a, to me, like a 245 average would be a really, really, really good outcome. And I don't know when he's going to be up. I just, I think he's getting way overdrafted right now. I think it's, it's kind of a case where like people don't want to pay full price for a prospect in like Vlad Jr. or or Victor Robles. So they think they're being smart by uh, waiting back and and grabbing a guy who's second on a lot of prospect lists. Like, oh, wow, I got the number two prospect. This is great. Well, he's, you know, he's not second on my list. And, you know, he's not even in my top 20 of of prospects for, for 2019 only. So I just, I think he's getting way overdrafted right now. Interesting. Yeah, I can see that. We talked about it weeks in advance of spring training. Just have your filter on. Don't let too much of this seep into your brain, but we continue to see it. I mean, in last night's Towers mixed draft, it was, you know, all the guys who are faring well in spring are getting pushed up. Um, well, Paddock, for one. I kind of am in on Paddock myself, but Buxton, we're seeing these guys get tons of spring helium. It's dangerous, man. I mean, spring training stats really don't portend or really aren't predictive for the future i just mainly want to keep my eyes on on job battles that's really all that matters yeah uh, what, and and just yeah job battles injuries yeah um <laughs> i yeah i'm trying to think like i mean i guess yeah i don't even really care about like velocities you know i know that people are tweeting out like a so-and-so's up i mean maybe if a guy is who's just always sort of been 92 93 if if all of a sudden there's they're like 95 this spring uh you know that's something to, to maybe keep an eye on, but even the guys that are like a couple miles down from what they were last year, like I don't care about that at all. Um, it's just kind of classic spring stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, injuries, job battles, yeah, that's all important. But I, I'd rather not see like, like I'd rather not know how someone like Byron Buxton or Fernando Tatis is doing yeah. is doing than actually know how they're doing. Like I just. Uh, I'm very confident in my evaluations of them prior to the spring, and I just think it's pretty much noise unless they get hurt or unless their team signs someone that blocks them. Yeah, I mean, we put in all this time in the offseason breaking down players, evaluating who they really are as a player, and then people love to just throw that stuff out the window and just, hey, he's killing it this spring. Uh, One guy who is killing it, I actually like before this spring, is Ryan McMahon. Just kind of as a well post hype sleeper, a guy who could be Daniel Murphy insurance. Murphy's going really high. I kind of like McMahon as like a a Murphy fade almost, and also he could play second base. We'll see, but uh, he's a player that I just think is getting lost in the shuffle right now. He went in the twenty fifth. 
of our TGFBI league. That's interesting. Yeah, I, you know, he's not really on my he's not really on my 15 team mixed radar right now. Uh I obviously AL labor, uh different story. Where where do you remember what the dollar value was on or no, do you remember NL. what the value was on him for NL? Oh, I do not. I could look that up. I here. mean, that that to me that's kind of more where it's at or ideally like a draft and hold type of format. Sure. Um, you know, for, like I said, for for a 15 team mixer, I don't really see anything that's going to result in in McMahon playing much at all in like April. And so I just want to be able to kind of have those spots maybe you know save maybe one of the seven bench spots for a stash on a on a guy. Mm-hmm. Uh but the rest of them I really kind of want the guy to be in his role uh, right out of the gate so that I can sub him in or or stream him if he's a pitcher. Yeah, it makes sense. McMahon went for five in NL labor. Yeah, I like that yeah, quite a bit. Yeah, that's a pretty good price. I mean, I, it's who knows? I mean, Daniel Murphy could hurt his knee again tomorrow. and I mean, he's still in the mix at second too, right? Yeah, I mean, I there's there's also like this. I mean, you, you could also see them move like Desmond back to first and Tapia to the outfield. Oh, yeah, I mean, that's like, true. There's, there's, Tapia's out of options, right? So. Yeah, so I mean, it, it's, it's just tough to – I mean, the McMahon somehow beating out Hampson at second base, I think, is maybe his best avenue to uh, April playing time, which obviously would just be, I mean, that would be a a huge blow to people that have Hampson because, you know, Hampson, you're taking him where you're taking him probably because you're really light on speed at that point in the draft and you're you're kind of relying on him to get you at least 20 steals. So, yeah, if, if you were to get beaten out by McMahon at second base, that would be a pretty big blow. Yeah, any other um, TGFBI picks, prospects, or otherwise in the in the end game that caught your eye? Uh, yeah, I mean, I I think Jonathan Loisiga, obviously, and Domingo Herman were uh, popular picks. They both went in the reserve rounds there. Um, I think the Herman one was before the Severino news. I mean, that's a good pick no matter what. And then I think the Lois Seager pick was after the uh, the news about Severino. Um, yeah, no, I don't know. Did anything really stand out to you? Um, you know, not really. There's some good picks here and there, like Pinder. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I was pretty bummed when Pinder went. Yeah, me uh, too. He's just so valuable in this format because of the ability to, you know, if they've got a couple lefties – lined up either to start the week or to finish the week you plug them in and that's that's pretty awesome yeah and 2b and outfield yep. that's pretty nice uh plus that was samada who who made the pinder yeah samada's killing it um yeah man i just i look at that team and that outfield it's like with nick martini down already and he was not a big obstacle to begin with who's gonna step up i think franklin Barreto was also a pretty sneaky pick mm. um well so yeah i i mean i don't really have much faith in Barreto performing, but uh, actually he didn't even go. I, th- I was supposed to be thinking about labor. Um, yeah, I mean Pinder. The, Pinder's a pretty good example of just this stupid Champions League, where <laughs> you know I I feel like in most formats, I, I mean I think his ADP is like in the around five hundred or something like that. I think in in most formats, I could have gotten Pinder in the twenty seventh or twenty eighth round. There, um, I think that he's definitely a sneaky. Uh, candidate f- to uh, eclipse playing time expectations. I know that 
obviously he, he mashes lefties. That's that's what he's there to do, and he's a versatile defender. Uh, but I I don't know. I think that there's a there's a chance that if you gave him everyday playing time, um, you know, this kind of happened last year with uh, Kike Hernandez, where he came into the year and everyone just assumed he's a short side platoon guy, and then it turns out that he was well above league average against righties, and then he kind of became a borderline everyday guy, and and I could see that happening with Pinder, and he. Uh, probably has even more upside than than Kike. Just, I mean, the the power is really really impressive. So I th- I thought that was a great pick. I thought that he would be there a little bit later for me, but of course he was not. Yeah, the Statcast number is really eye opening for a guy like Pinder. I like that. I'm glad you mentioned Domingo Herman and Jonathan Loisiga because obviously the big news so far this week is uh, Luis Severino going down with a shoulder injury, warming up for his first game of the spring. Tried to throw that slider, and thankfully he didn't keep throwing. He reported it right away. Hopefully they got out in front of it. But uh, do you like Herman by quite a bit more over Lois Seeger? Or what, what's the gap look like between those guys? I think it's really close. Um, I mean, Lois Seeger's looked great this spring. I mean, he just always looks great. Uh, it's just a matter of staying healthy. And, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I think both guys, in, if you're in a 15-team mixer, I think they both need to be owned right now just because we don't really know. And, uh, I mean, whichever one loses out, they're still next man up in a rotation full of guys that have uh, either are really old or have an injury track record. So I think they're both going to be fantasy relevant at some point in the season if things stay healthy. And that's a big if with, if with Loisiga. Uh, he just on talent alone, he would be, um, maybe 50 spots higher on my top 400. It's just that there's just no track record of him logging significant innings at all. So, uh, that's the worry with him, but I think both those guys could be very useful, uh, as long as they're getting starts. Yeah, same. Well, I want to move on. Just talk a little bit about the labor team I put together. I was fortunate enough to be invited back to the American league by Steve Gardner of USA Today. Uh, much appreciated there. Great room. I mean, maybe one of the hardest, I mean, leagues I've ever, probably the hardest league I've ever been in. Just murderous row here. Uh, I was able to get Vlad at 22. That was a shocker to me. He was the first guy thrown out, and I think that had something to do with it. People just, I mean, maybe just caught people off guard that he was the first guy put up for nomination. I was willing to go 27, and realistically, in the heat of the moment, I probably would have gone like 30. Do you think so? I was thinking about this last night. I mean, I I thought that was the buy of the auction. I think that that was a ridiculous price on him. Uh, but do you, I I feel like in a seeing where he went in that tout mix draft last night, I feel like there's just this thing within people in the industry and specifically like longtime people in the industry where they just don't want to be that guy that that pays for Vlad because it it for some reason it's got this sort of taboo label of being like a sucker a sucker buy like oh you're, that, you're buying into the hype like you don't want to be that guy that's crazy and though when it comes to it's, vlad it's just you know? it doesn't make any sense to me like I, i've said this before uh like i think vlad is incredibly safe like i think he's to me he he's appealing in the third round this year not for his upside necessarily but for just how bankable i think the production is and that i know that just doesn't make sense to people because he hasn't been in the big leagues yet but i mean from a talent standpoint he should have been up early last year uh i mean the guy hit the guy's just gonna hit over 300 i'm I'm pretty convinced of it and for you to get him for that price 
in a AL only league I thought was just highway robbery. And so, like you said, it's kind of the pressure's on now to, to really cash in that, yeah. that value. I can't botch this, man. I mean, I cannot blow this. I was really, yeah, I was really happy. And t- to your point, just, you know, finishing off this about Vlad, I have a ton of respect for Colton, the Wolfman. I mean, they're legitimately great players. They won the league last year. Uh, they have their smart system though. And, you know, one of the points in that is that you can't pay for what we haven't seen yet, what hasn't happened on the field. And to that, I say, why the hell not in, in nowadays? Because you have more information than ever before. We can see what these guys do at, at you know, age versus level and, and kind of run that ma- the major league equivalencies uh, in a sense. And I just think with these high-end guys who are as talented as Vlad and Acuna last year, you can pay for, for these guys because we know they're coming up and we know they're going to produce. I mean, we haven't seen it yet, and there will be some, there will continue to be prospects who fail, but these high end guys, I think, are worth paying, paying for. Yeah. I mean, I, again, I'm not saying like every, everyone doesn't have to have Vlad valued as a top 30 player like I do. That, that's fine. Like, you can totally have him valued as a top 40 player maybe a top 50 player, but when he falls to Gregor Ambrosius in the fifth round of a 15-team mixed league, like, that is just pure insanity, plain and simple. Like, I, I there's no excuse for that. Uh, I mean, the, you could take the most pessimistic projections on him from every public projection system for every one of the five Roto stats, and it would equate to a guy that should go you know, 10, 15 spots higher than where he went in that draft. I mean, it's just really crazy to me that he fell that far. And I think it's it's kind of, uh, I think we're going to look back on this draft season and the fact that he was going this late in these expert drafts is kind of a bad look. I hate to say it, but I agree with you. And, you know, I know um, Greg Ambrosius yesterday on the, the broadcast was saying that, you know, that was a lot later, like, I mean, almost 20 picks later than any of the recent NFBC drafts. So yeah. it's like... The high-stakes crowd, I mean, I think they're letting him fall further than he should, but they're not letting him fall anywhere near as, as far as some of these expert leagues. Um, I did already kind of botch that a little bit later, the, the same auction, by not getting Ryan Presley. We talked about that. I said yesterday that I kind of wish I had the Lazardo buyback and just gotten maybe Whitley for $2 less or Presley at the same price. Uh, then Lazardo goes out and has a great outing. There was one tweet recently that kind of scared me off a little bit about from Lazardo. I'm going to try to look it up here, but basically that he hasn't gone five innings more than like a few times in his minor league career. Um, not the end of the world, but I do worry about him maybe not going deep enough into games to get, to get many wins. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, last year was his first full year back from Tommy John, so I think that that was just a thing that was in place to allow him to pitch you know full season without having to shut him down super early uh i'm not really that worried about that uh i think that getting him i mean i can't believe you only had to pay eight bucks for him um and i think i i prefer lazardo for eight that over whitley for six personally just because i think I just think it's a a much higher floor of of 2019 value, like 
as much as there can be a floor for any pitcher, I just think that you can you can bank on a hundred plus big league innings if he stays healthy. Whitley could definitely get to over a hundred innings too. It's just much much farther from a certainty. Yeah, it was Michael Florio on Twitter at Michael F Florio. In his minor league career, Jesus Lazardo has gone more than five innings one time, and then our buddy Ralph Lifshitz mentioning it says you did that he had Tommy John out of high school. They had him on a pitch count. Who knows what that's indicative of, indicative of but I mean, um, it, yeah, they're going to have to loosen the reins if he's going to get many wins, and you're not going to make crucial to the, fantasy success. Yeah, you're just knowing what what we know about when he had Tommy John and how insanely quickly he's knocking on the door of the big leagues. It would have been basically impossible for him to get here this quickly if he'd been allowed to go six innings into starts. Like mm-hmm. you're you're not making that rapid ascent if you're going very deep into starts your first year back from Tommy John you're just you're just not so it's like that would be something that would be compelling to me if we were talking about like you say Kikuchi never goes more than five innings per start or whatever sure, like yeah. this, we're talking about a guy that was working his way back from Tommy John and just cruising through the minor leagues I mean I, I don't that's and a guy that has a very quality quality uh three pitch arsenal where where all three pitches are at least 60 grade offerings like this this is not a guy that you should be worried about being capable of going deep into games now there's i sort of maybe get if if the point of that tweet was to say like he hasn't worked on turning lineups over three times Mm. but it's part of it um yeah i mean i think it's you know it's not like we're paying for um 180 innings of Lizardo, you're you're kind of paying for like 140 innings, so I think it's it's fine. Yeah, that's a good point. I do. I'm, I almost kind of hope that they like, use an opener for him. Just I want those wins, James. So I'd, sue me. Oh, I I'd love that, and I think that's like a good mis like that's a misconception to me that um, teams that use openers, it's like bad for the pitchers. It's like actually, it's, it's actually great. great. Like I I wish yeah, Yarbrough had like 16 wins. Like. I wish every single one of my starters followed an open <laughs> yeah me too i mean hell I, I want him to get that win it's they're so crucial you know we, we look at everything so sabermetrically and we discount wins but we still play the five by five game and so uh that's a, a critical thing i got verlander for 33 that was not part of the plan uh but wins and i felt like you know 32 is just a little cheap caught price enforcing a little bit but i was fine with it um alvarado for 14 glass now i got my first glass now share and that was really a pivot because Erod went for 19, which is about what I really think he should go for. But I was hoping to get him at a discount Bieber for 16. Uh, so I, was, I just, after getting Verlander, I just couldn't really dip my toes in there. A real quick word from our sponsor. Auto New Fantasy Baseball is the next level fantasy baseball challenge you've been looking for. Experience a year-round dynasty competition with deep rosters. Accumulate prospects to lead your team in the future or to move for a superstar at the trade deadline. Keep your baseball mind engaged in the offseason with trades and arbitration. Learn more about why everyone who plays AutoNew becomes addicted at www.autonewbaseball.com. That's O-T-T-O-N-E-U baseball.com. AutoNew, better fantasy baseball. Any like high-end pitching guys stick out to you as a value? I think Barrios is a pretty good buy. Um... Yeah, yeah, I did. I did like Brios quite a bit at twenty three bucks. Uh, was that Brett? Yeah, that was Brett Sayer. Um, 
I like Porcello quite a bit at at six, 16 bucks. Yeah. Um, I mean, just getting a guy like Porcello and Barrios for under 40 bucks and both those guys could get you get you 200 plus innings. I mean, I think that's that's great in an AL only. One guy who I'm mad I didn't take just right away in reserves, but I had Vlad, so I was like, I got to just get Brandon Drury to back myself up and have some some early production. But that meant I passed on their organizational mate, Bo Bichette, who fell to the last pick of the first round. Um, that could really end up being a huge pick for Colton the Wolfman. Uh, where, where are you at on Bo Bichette for 2019? Do you think, say him versus Tatis, do you think they maybe play a similar amount? I mean, how, how much playing time are we looking at for Bichette? Uh, I think Tatis gets more playing time just because the Padres are a more aggressive org when it comes to moving guys. Uh, you know, I think it's possible we see Bichette in the first half this year, but I don't know, man. The or- the Blue Jays are so damn cheap. Like they <laughs> they might they really might screw with him. Um, so I, you know, I like Tatis over Bichette by quite a bit and I don't even like Tatis that much so um you know I thought the absolute steal of that reserve draft was Nate Lowe is that is that right that Cockroft got him in the last round I think so that's crazy to me like to me I would have probably bought Nate Lowe in the auction so um that one doesn't make any sense to me well I messed up James uh blew it but (laughs) well I'm I'm like so can you walk through for me really quick like how you didn't get presley because like i thought that was if i were to put anyone on your team as as an absolute lock it would have probably been presley basically it was just not having enough money i had i could have gone to nine i had they know my max bid i think at that time was like 13 but i had a lot of roster spots to fill and i just felt like if i go ryan presley i'm gonna have like six one dollar guys as it stands now i have uh, four. I actually think it would have been higher. I think it would have been seven one dollar guys. I made the mistake of not throwing Presley right. out for nomination earlier. Getting Ryan Brazier and Taylor Rogers though for the same price combined as Presley wins four though does make me feel better. I really like Taylor Rogers, man. And Brazier for four dollars less than Matt Barnes, uh I thought that gap was bigger than it should have been. Yeah, I I totally buy that. Um is that like I, I think that's a good takeaway though for people that are doing auctions, um, you know I think yeah, I, you have to sort of have a a plan with your your noms and uh, you know you don't want to throw everyone you want out early, uh, but you know if it's somebody that you like part of your strategy sort of hinges on maybe getting. Uh, maybe you throw them out, like a, especially if it's like a, a position where, you know, like relief pitcher in a in an only league. There's only so many guys that you won, and so many guys you're going to end up with. Um, yeah, maybe throwing them early in some cases is is the way to go. Yeah. Also, just don't you know you have to walk away sometimes. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can't get too married to him. I, I love Ryan Presley. But it just didn't make sense to go to nine there. I, I kept pushing Ray Flowers, and he was pushing back. Good good on him. I mean, I, that's a good buy. I like that you – like I think getting Verlander for 33 was a good example of not being married to a plan. I mean, I yeah. like him. I like him more than Kluber. I like him 
more than a healthy Severino, and those guys went for the same price or more. So I thought that that was that was great. Nice couple of buys that I was not, you know, not really keen on. And I told Brett Sayer this. I've been Billy for nineteen. <laughs> I was like, dude, no. But he's like, hey, I think Billy in in Kansas City. That's a bigger outfield. Maybe you know, seven more balls hit out there, f- find gaps, and uh, yeah, that'd be huge for him. More steals. Obviously, he's going to have the green light. I've just seen this guy over and over and over get the bat knocked out of his hands. Hard hit rate for his career is like twenty point five percent. I just don't see it. Yeah, I think you know Brett. Brett's loved Billy for a long time. Um, I think. Brett might like Billy more than he should, and you might hate Billy yeah. more than you should. So that's I think- the thing. I was like, I've seen, I've watched him so many years. He's like, that's the problem. Yeah, you, you watch the guy. <laughs> I just feel like the speed tax here was very prevalent. I, I was happy to mostly avoid it, although I did pay nine for Greg Allen, twenty two for Tim Anderson. But um, can you walk us through the the Mondesi bidding and yeah. how you were, what was going through your head there? Well, at the time, Montessi got thrown out. I'm almost positive of this. I had already spent 34 on Stanton, 33 on Verlander, and the 22 on Vlad. Uh, I pushed him up, but Dave Adler was very aggressive. And once it got to 30, I was like, realistically, I should just bow out. I wanted to get Glaber Torres anyway. I knew he would probably be cheaper, and he ended up being four dollars or $6 cheaper than Montessi. And I got Tim Anderson, who's... You know, not at the same level of Montessi, but a power speed guy who uh, should help. And as much as I love Montessi, in a standalone league, I don't know if you have to push him up this much. My interest is more so in in leagues like the NFBC with an overall component uh, where he could be a a big difference maker. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I like that you pivoted to Glaber there. Uh, Tim Anderson at at 22, that the speed, you know, I'm surprised that that, was all he went for there and i think you know other than vlad uh on the hitting side i think my two other favorite buys were just kind of nondescript ones of chad pender at four and Dan- daniel robertson at one uh i like those guys a ton especially in an only they both have uh, nice eligibility options and you know they're both guys that are technically short side platoon guys, but might just be good enough. Like I, I think Daniel Robertson might be better than Joey Wendell. Uh, I don't think that that's a huge stretch and, you know, Matt Duffy is just never healthy. And, uh, I think there's just a several ways that Robertson could get more plate appearances than people are expecting. So getting him for a buck, I thought was, was really a steal and an only. Well, thanks. But I got to give credit to our own Jason Collette for opening my eyes to Daniel Robertson. I told you I was going to probably just throw him back in the Rotowire Dynasty Invitational, but his outlook on Robertson this year opened my eyes, and they're talking like he's going to get a, a pretty big role. You know, super utility guy, play quite a bit, so I was happy with that. I also like the price on Austin Meadows for Eno. That was a nice buy, at sixteen. Seems he like wouldn't have, he wouldn't have gotten him for sixteen if I'd been there. <laughs> he also got Otani for ten, which I like. Granted, you're going to have to be without him for a month, but. Uh, his per inning numbers or per, per plate appearance numbers are elite. Luke Voigt for 12, I thought was a steal too by Brett. Man. Um, but let's pivot. How did, how did you not get on, on Luke Voigt? Dude, I wanted to, but I had, that's the thing. When it's you spend, too late. It was... when you have so much money out there 
like 15 players in <laughs> the auction. You just got to mm-hmm. gotta pick your spots. I, I do kind of wish I'd gone an extra buck on Voight. But then you're Well, gonna, hey, you got Greg Bird, so. Hey, and I got World <laughs> Series MVP Steve Pierce. Wow. So how about Think that? Think about that. Hey. <laughs> decorated <laughs> World Series hero Steve Pierce. I do think for a buck in an only league, he's perfectly <laughs> fine. But, James, let's pivot and talk about your ranking, the rookies article. This is a version of the one that appeared in the magazine, but did you make any widespread changes to this or just kind of minor tweaks? Uh, I made a lot of minor tweaks, so I think that all equals widespread changes, and that's how it is every year. I mean, this is the... I want to say this is the third year where it's been in the mag and then I've put a version on the site about three months later uh, that really, you know, a lot can kind of change in terms of um, expectations of playing time for a lot of these rookies between December and now. And, you know, I it, the first change was in Tier number two, which is just Victor Robles and Eli Jimenez, I moved Robles to two and Jimenez to three for for 2019. And uh, I mean, it's pretty simple at that at the point in the draft where I think that they both uh, should go, which is like sixth, seventh round. Um, Eli typically falls a little bit further than that, but uh, you know, Robles is just one of the last guys left, even in the sixth round, which is where I took him in TGFBI. He's one of the last guys left that's a really good bet to steal 20-plus bases and help you everywhere else. So um, I just, you know, when, when I was on the clock, I took Robles over Jimenez, didn't even think twice about it, so I had to, to flip-flop them. And then the, the next big change was moving Nick Senzel to the top of the third tier as the fourth overall prospect for 2019. Go Reds, baby. He's a little, dealing with a little hamstring issue right now, but uh, expected to return to action Thursday or Friday. Sounds like the transition is going really well to center field, and I'm excited about that. I I like that he, too, came out and said, I don't believe the Reds are breaking camp with their 25 best guys. <laughs> like, I don't believe that they're going to actually include me on the opening day roster. This kid's got a good head on his, shoulder and his, on his shoulders, and he's – realistic about about his path yeah he's he's also he's kind of a red ass too like he he's um he's kind of he's got that personality where he's maybe not the most uh the the friendliest guy to to everyone around he's just he's a he's a gamer though and i you know my projection for him is like under 500 plate appearances and he's still a 11 or $12 guy, um, for this season. So, uh, I, I love it. I think there's a chance he could hit really high in that order for, for most of the season once he's up. And, you know, I'd rather bet on Senzel, I think just given the pedigree, given what he means to that org, than Garrett Hampson, just because I, you know, we we know Hampson's going to start the year in the the majors, uh, and Senzel probably starts the year at AAA. But like the Reds are not going to mess with Nick Senzel, and I could totally see the Rockies messing with Garrett Hampson. Oh, totally. I mean, the Reds have kind of dinked Senzel around a little bit from like a position standpoint, yeah, yeah. but they're not. not it's not like they're going to call him up and like not play him and then send right. him down or anything like that. One guy I'm a little surprised you didn't – well, one last thing on Senzel, and I we talked about this, although I don't know if it was on this pod, but I did take Senzel over Winker 
in my 12 team, my first online championship I did. A couple reasons, the speed, the positional eligibility, be 2B and outfield eventually. And just the fact that it was a 12-teamer and the replacement level was pretty high. So mm-hmm. um, I love Winker. He's off to a really nice start. Um, but the lack of speed, the lack of standout power. Um, and I already had Vlad, so I felt like my, my batting average base. I had Vlad and Betts. So I thought <coughs> my, my batting average base was good. Mm-hmm. I just I just wanted to push up a little speed. But it was. you think that those two are close and for redraft? I would. I think I would take Senzel, too. Um, oh, I might give... I might give Winker the edge in an OBP, but I'm not even sure I would. Um, I think it, I'd probably take Senzel in all formats just because of the stolen bases you mentioned. Uh, I think they have a very similar power ceiling for this year, um, and they're not that far off in terms of plate skills. Uh, what did you think about the rest of that sort of six through like six through fifteen range in that that tier? Were you surprised by anything? Well, it's good to see Paddock on the rise. I'm a little surprised that Tucker was not higher. I know you're a big Tucker guy, and um, well, who should he have been ahead of? Like, I, I definitely think it's possible he spends over a month at AAA to start the year. Yeah, I would probably have him. Well, ahead of Reyes, I would have him, but the other ones are iffy. Maybe ahead of Whitley, maybe ahead of Alonzo. And it, I mean, it depends sort of too, just how your draft is going. Um, you know, I don't know. I I love Kyle Tucker. I would probably have him. I mean, if I knew he was going to be up and playing every day this year, he would probably be up in that second tier with Robles and Jimenez. I just think there's a chance you are stashing him for six weeks to start the year. <clears throat> and uh, you know that kind of going in with uh, Forrest Whitley, for instance, that you might be stashing him for a month plus to start the year but uh pitching like high-end pitching in that range of the draft is just impossible to really come by without a qualification like you're stashing someone like whitley and the outfield pool is just you know i'm finding in a lot of drafts i get to that range of the draft and i've either got four or five outfielders already so then it's just kind of a what do i need more uh he'd be a real difference maker but yeah yeah. absolutely i mean he's the wild card of this tier. I mean, he could easily out earn everyone in this tier. Uh, just depends on the plate appearances. And um, yeah, he's he's a tough guy to rank. Reyes is a really tough guy to rank just because you don't necessarily know what the role is going to be. Um, you know, putting I put Paddock in at, at 13. He was a couple tiers down for the mag version of this article. Uh, that was back when you could just grab him in the – middle to late rounds of a 15 team 50 team draft and hold and just stash him but now you you can't so uh you know i like i like him enough that i i think he belongs in this tier and um yeah i mean i think tuki toussaint is a guy that could even be higher i have him at 15 seems like he's kind of zeroing in on that fifth starter spot and and has looked good so far this spring you mentioning reyes reminded me of something the guy i was kind of souring on not like souring on but just wasn't really drafting at his ADP, but now I'm starting to really buy back in as maybe one of the best potential sleeper closers. I'm not really a sleeper, but Jordan Hicks, did you see yesterday those sliders he was mm-hmm. throwing? Yeah, I mean... Good grief. I mean, I know he throws heat, but the Hicks, spin. Hicks is... Uh, he was a pivotal guy for me to get in, in the Champions League. I 
obviously, as you it's know, got, got sniped on Alvarado. And after that kind of run of that, what is it, like a top 15 or 16 closers, Hicks is my favorite guy to grab after that. Uh, obviously he looks nasty. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's really, really nasty. I mean, the, yeah. the only thing you can really do against him is time one of his fastballs and take it the other way, uh, which McCutcheon did in that, that game you're talking about. I mean, you just – it's it's really, really tough to, to square him up. Um, the strikeouts from last year, I think, really open up a buying opportunity this year because people just look at his season-long K-rate and it's like, right. oh, yeah, whatever. Um, but, yeah. That's, you, that's what I was doing, admittedly. Like, I just – for the raw stuff, the K's weren't there, and they had other options, so I was a little hesitant. Well, because last year, he was just, you know, I think he was just really lacked confidence in his off-speed stuff. And, I mean, his fastball is ridiculous, but if big league hitters know it's coming, they're they're going to make contact with it. Uh, they're just not going to be able to make good contact with it. And I think this year, if he starts to trust that breaking ball a little bit more, uh, he that strikeout rate could really um, improve upon what he did as a rookie. Yeah, and we talked about how spring stats don't matter, and you know, I'm not saying, oh, he had four Ks in an inning. It was just the, what I saw, you know, the, the swing and miss on the slider. I knew he was overpowering, but I didn't know that the breaking ball was really that good. It's pretty impressive. Let me tell you one, uh, two other guys that may flip-flop here, and I probably wouldn't have said this, you know, 30 hours ago, but – uh, Williams Estadio over Francisco Bahia for me. I think now with Miguel Sano uh, expected to miss the first month. Mm, yeah, um, I just don't know how much Mejia is going to play realistically. Yeah, you know, I think that <laughs> I don't think you want if you're a big league team. I don't think you want Estadio being your DH. I, I utility guy. Uh, Nelson Cruz at DH. I I think uh, you know Jake Cave's still there as a guy that is you know, probably a better hitter. Uh, Tyler Austin against uh, lefties for sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Estadio is very. Um, it's it's a roster building question to me. Like if you're in a league with an overall component. I don't think you can risk getting um, as little counting stats as you can, as, as he might provide you. Uh, but if you're in a standalone league, like, for instance, um, in RDI, where Ian and I have Estadio and Austin Barnes, we might start Estadio for a good chunk of the season just because we can probably – win most of the counting stat categories without his help and we just kind of want that batting average help and Mm -hmm. i think it's just very you have to look at your team look at your format and see what are you what are you trying to get because i think estadio's batting average is just going to be really really nice it just might come with fewer than 200 plate appearances yeah very unique skill set puts bat the ball with really insane consistency so uh, i know there was some talk that oh he's going to start his shortstop it was a clerical error, but he can play third. He can play some other spots, uh, not particularly well, but uh, maybe he plays enough with, with Marwin presumably needed pretty much exclusively at third now with Snowdown. Uh, maybe he plays more early on, at least, more than people expected. Uh, the next tier after the others for 15-team mixers, top 100 prospects for watch lists. 
Uh, Nate Lowe, Usnail Diaz, Bryce Wilson, Logan Allen, Cameron uh, Daz Cameron, Fernando Tatis Jr., Keston Hira, and Kyle Wright. Kyle Wright, um, he's pretty interesting. I think he's kind of quietly making a push mm-hmm. for a rotation spot. Yeah, he's a better uh, real-life pitcher than a fantasy pitcher, which is – why I have Wilson ahead of him in this tier. I just I think Wilson's got more strikeout upside, but but Kyle Wright's gonna keep the ball on the ground. He's really just you know, a I think the ceiling is fairly low. Like I don't I don't really see him being much more than a number three starter, but I think uh the probability of him being that is is pretty high uh for a guy that hasn't proven it in the big leagues yet. So yeah, I think Kyle Wright, especially that you know, there's always a point in those fifty round draft and holds where a guy like that he he just seems to slip further than he should because and Bryce Wilson does too for that matter. Um people just kind of don't go all the way down the depth chart and and explore these guys, I think, the way they should. Jumping back up to the top of the article for a second, um Victor Robles, you said you, you know, in a in a pinch, you'd take him over Eloy. I agree, but how high are you willing to push up Robles? I'm not except, you know, asking you to share your exact uh, projection for him, but we saw him go late fourth to a guy who was a really good player, Tim McLeod, last night. I have a lot of respect for Tim and his uh, prospect uh, evaluation. So, as I think that's for me a little high, but is that not too far off for you? Uh. That's higher than I would take him. I would probably take him. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I took him in the sixth round of the Champions League. I uh, would not have taken him earlier than that. And that's just, it's just because of the amount of talent that's on the board uh, in rounds four and five. Um, you know, like you're getting guys like I, I, I got, Eugenio Suarez, I think, in the fifth round of that league. I mean, when guys like that are out there uh, where you just know you're getting just really, really nice counting stats in runs, RBI, home runs, and a, a fairly decent batting average, it's tough for me to take a guy that's that I expect to hit at the bottom of the order for most of the season in Victor Robles. That's, that's really sort of the drawback is just that I think the steals are going to be there. I think the batting average is, is going to be fine. I just think that taking a guy that's going to potentially get you fewer than 70 runs and fewer than 70 RBI in the fourth round is is just too rich for me. But um, and that's it, the speed tax. Man. It might it might depend too on just where you're at. Like if you let's say you just only took one starting pitcher. Uh, with your first three picks and your other two hitters to start off were, um, you know, guys like Freddie Freeman and Aaron Judge or something like yeah. JD that like that type of guy, then I think it's it's fine if you look at the rest of the speed guys out there. Um, but you know, I I might even prefer, um, you know, I think I actually prefer. Let's see. Yeah, I, I think I prefer Jonathan VR to Robles if I'm taking a, a speed guy. And I think so too. Just well, second base helps. Well, and, and the, the power. I just think the like we've seen Jonathan VR steal sixty bases in mm. a season before. Um, we haven't seen almost anyone that's still playing professional baseball do that. And you know, that's a guy that I think can just carry you in that category potentially. Whereas 
Robles, I I think 35 steals is totally in play. Um, but I'm not going to bet on him to get you more than that until he shows he can do it over a full season. Interesting. Well, anybody else you want to mention here before we uh, sign off? Um, no, I mean, I, I moved like I moved Mike Soroka down into the delicate pitchers tier, which is uh, not a tier you necessarily want to be in. But, um, yeah, like I said, I'm kind of hands off on him right now. Jonathan Loisega is ahead of him in that tier. Um, you know, the that top 100 prospects for standard league watch lists, like I, I definitely think Nate Lowe and Yusniel Diaz are, are values right now. I, I like those guys a lot uh, to be up in June probably, I would say, for both of them. And then once they're up, I think they play uh, close to every day. Um, Lowe is power over hit. Diaz is hit over power. But uh, both those guys are, are pretty good values right now. Nice. Well, real quick before we do sign off, my next entry into the list here are the uh, my top twenty most memorably bad hip hop singles. Uh, Nelly featuring Kelly Rowland, Dilemma. Um, that was on my list too. It wasn't. Oh, yeah. Nice. Man. How about that? I think that's the video where she's like trying to text him through like an Excel doc or something. <laughs> like wondering why he's not texting back. <laughs> it's an Excel doc. A uh, terrible song though. And that was an easy choice. I'm glad that we... That's probably the one that's going to be on both lists. Well, uh, yeah, you know, who who knows? Um, you got Smiles and South Star on yours? I do not. Uh, mine is What's Your Fantasy by Ludacris. Uh, just really, really corny, really oh, lame. Yeah. Uh, I Luda remember... had some real stinkers. Yeah, <laughs> that's not the only Ludacris song that'll be appearing <laughs> on my list. But uh, I remember, like... I think it was like sixth grade of middle school, maybe um, that song was, was blown up. Um, and you know, all the girls were, were into it. And I just remember being like, Oh man, what's, what's the world coming to where this is. And that was, that was sixth grade me. And now mm-hmm. obviously my disdain has, has grown. Yeah. Somebody on Twitter has asked me to link to these uh, playlists. I just sent them the one from last year. Yeah. Like, no, you know, yeah. I mean, subject I really appreciate that. Uh, we're tracking these, uh, Andrew's tracking these, but, um, yeah, you want, you want the other playlist. You don't want this. Playlist. Yeah. This is maybe the worst playlist in Spotify history, but James, as always, we appreciate you sh- sharing your insight with us. I highly recommend just bookmarking this ranking the rookies article, coming back to it as these guys start to pop up in the big leagues, just to see kind of where they rank, um, relative to one another. So well, really good stuff. And I'm not going to be doing any more, uh, draft champions league. So, um, please put this to use out there. Uh, this is that's the format where I think this article is is of most use if you're doing those draft and holds. Absolutely. Well, thanks again, James. Thank you guys for listening. Talk to you next week.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.